0: Hello, this is the Elegant Mind broadcast on Valley 104.9 FM Radio, serving the lower Snoqualmie Valley of Washington State, including the communities of Duval, Redmond Ridge, and Carnation. My name is Mark Winwood, and I am your host. Today we're going to be speaking about family. Family values family life, family perspectives, all from the viewpoint, well, mostly from the viewpoint of the Tibetan Buddhist and Tibetan cultural perspectives and practices. Before we begin our discussion, I would like to pay some thanks to The originator of the music that you hear on this program, the introductory music, the music at the end of the program, and then during each program, a cut, a song. This uh, music is created and performed by Bobby Vega. Bobby is a San Francisco Bay Area musician. He's a bass player. He has been playing music for many years with just about every big name, if you will, every big name that has originated or come through the San Francisco Bay Area over the past 30 years. Bobby's a friend, and he has very graciously allowed me to share his music as I would like throughout this program. So that's uh, Bobby Vega. And you can find out more about him at his website, which is www.bobbyvega.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-V-E-G-A dot com. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bobby. Some of you may know I do regular volunteer work at the Monroe Correctional Complex that's the men's complex of prisons there's actually four prisons at the MCC as it's known over in Monroe and I am there mm, probably 5 or 6 times a month working with inmates in two of the two of the units there And we talk about all things Buddhist. We do some meditation. We answer questions, conversations, and so on. And this past week, there was an annual event that took place. It's called the Buddha Fest. And at the Buddha Fest, there are the inmates uh, attend. There were probably I'd say 75 or 80 inmates, and they are allowed to invite. Their family members, friends, significant others, and so on. And in the Buddha Fest lasts maybe about three hours. And myself and other Buddhist volunteers were there to to kind of run the program. We did some meditation, we did some prayer. And so as I uh, as I arrived, I saw the program that was being handed out, and saw that I was scheduled to give a 15-minute Dharma talk on family values. I had no idea that I was going to be speaking formally in that way. So as the, as the event went on, I, I was thinking about, well, what, what am I going to say? Here, here I am in a, uh, in a penitentiary, and I know from having spoken over the, uh, over the past year with, with the ex-offenders who are there, that there's lots of uh, there's lots of guilt and there's lots of you know self inflicted disappointment and so on because these men have been taken from their families. Many of them are young. Most of them are there for drug offenses. They've been taken from their families. They have children. They have wives. And, and but they're in jail and they can't participate. They can't be responsible. And there's great hardship. So there's guilt and there's regret and. And there's worry about their family on the outside, and there's worry about how things are going to work when they're finally released, because they'll be going back into an environment in which they offended, they broke laws. The same people will be there, the same situations will be there, and, and perhaps the same temptations are going to be there. And they worry about, even though they're doing really well, while they're serving their term, and, and but what happens when they're no longer incarcerated, when they're no longer in that environment and they're out. So they worry about family and their effects on the family and their abilities to be able to support their families so I spoke about not specifically family, although I certainly mentioned it, but I, I talked about really in terms of the Buddhist ideas of interconnection and interdependence. I talked about, well, what is family and what is extended family aren't we all members of a of one family? Don't we all breathe the same air? Don't we all eat the same food? Don't we all share the same roads, send our children to the same schools, watch the same TV at night? Aren't we all, to some degree, family? And I spoke about that, and the talk was actually very well received, and I was pleased with how it went. So, I decided then that what I'd like to do is is talk about family here on on the elegant mind. And the more I thought about it, the more the more complex, the more complicated it becomes. There's all different ideas about family, very complex and you know Buddhism has a has a very multifaceted relationship with family, familial life and familial discourses. Buddhism, certainly Tibetan Buddhism is is centered, was centered. On a monastic path that involved the renunciation of family ties following the ideal model of the buddha himself who abandoned his parents abandoned his wife and abandoned his son in order to work toward the ultimate goal of buddhahood so there are many buddhist texts are characterized by this really strong renunciatory and anti-family discourse in which the family is depicted as a primary source of attachment and delusion and suffering But yet, in order to survive, Buddhism, monastic Buddhism, also relies on a surrounding community that is organized on a familial basis. So in practice, Buddhism really accommodates and supports the family in multiple and diverse ways. For example, giving pastoral advice on the conduct of familial life by promoting practices supportive of fertility and procreation, and the productivity and success of the family and sometimes even in therapeutic ways by inserting itself as a necessary partner in the relationship between parents and children or living families and even with deceased ancestors. So it's really kind of impossible to characterize the relationship between Buddhism and the family in any singular way. What I'd like to share with you is a teaching from Siddhartha, the Buddha, the Awakened One. He delivered many discourses on the life of lay followers. Those are the non-monastic ordinary people like you and me, most of us, you and me. And in one of these discourses, one of these teachings that he gave, which is known as the Sigalavada Sutra, the Buddha talked about the roles and responsibilities of members within the family and within the society. And in this teaching, he defined the ideal relationships that the lay follower should develop with respect to his family and the society at large. These relationships are based on the acceptance of reciprocal responsibilities between people. That word responsibility, we always encounter whatever we're doing with the Buddhist teachings, with the Tibetan ways, the Tibetan mind sciences or life sciences. That word responsibility always creeps in. It always creeps in. So the Sigalavada Sutra goes like this one day the buddha saw sigala bowing to the six directions that is bowing to the east and the south the west the north above and below immediately after his morning bath sigala had promised at his father's deathbed to observe this ritual faithfully it was then believed that when people practiced this ritual they were honoring the gods residing in the six directions and as a result These gods would be pleased and bestow good luck, happiness, and prosperity on them. But Siddhartha had a different view. He had different ideas. And he explained to Sigala the meaning of paying respect, the true meaning of paying respect to the six directions. He said that the East represents the parents, the South, the teachers, the West, the spouse, the North, friends, Above religious teachers and below employees. The six directions represent the six types of human relationships, namely those between parent and child, teacher and pupil, husband and wife, friends, religious teacher and disciple, as well as employer and employee. Thus, honoring the six directions means fulfilling one's responsibilities in each of these relationships as every person assumes several roles in life, whether it's a parent, a child, a friend, or employer, he has to be aware and fulfill his responsibilities in each of these roles. So honoring the six directions really means fulfilling one's reciprocal responsibilities in these six social relationships. And through fulfilling one's responsibilities, one can achieve harmony, security, and prosperity both within the family and in the society as a whole. So getting back to the talk that I gave at the Correctional Complex, the idea and the notion of extended family, of treating everyone or perceiving everyone as being a member of the family, of our family, and I'm reminded of a, of a story that I heard a while ago. This comes from Ramdas. Some of you may know of Ramdas Richard Alpert. Ramdas Richard Alpert was a, well, before he was Ramdas, he was Richard Alpert. And he was a psychologist at, uh, he taught at Harvard and became hooked up with uh, Timothy Leary, who was also a psychology professor at Harvard. This is in the 60s and got involved with the the psychedelic drugs uh, with Dr. Leary. And one thing led to another, and they were both fired. They were both removed from their teaching positions at Harvard. Leary went on to become the spokesperson here in America of the tune-in dropout movement. And Alpert went to India, and he traveled around, and he and he discovered a guru by the name of Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji, as he was known and he he studied he learned various disciplines and meditation practices and so on and then came back to America and became a teacher an author a teacher a spiritual leader and and he wrote a book he wrote a book that is very 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 famous it's called Be Here Now which is a it's kind of a three-part book in which he describes the in Western terms, he describes the journey inward, the journey to awakening. And as the story goes, his his father was a was an attorney, who was a railroad president up in Boston, an attorney, very high powered, very materialistic and and ambitious attorney. And Ramdas, now called Ramdas, named Ramdas by his teacher, authored a book and the book was printed. It was printed in New Mexico, I believe. And it was a beautiful, beautifully illustrated book and, and hardcover and, and something that looked quite expensive. And he brought a copy of the book to his dad. And his dad looked at the book and said, wow, Richard, you know, this is a, this is a really nice book. This is really nice. How, how much are you going to charge for it? And Richard Bromdas said, well, we're going to sell these books for $12. And his father said twelve dollars this is a this is a seventy eighty dollar book why only twelve dollars how could you only charge twelve dollars for this come on get smart will you this is worth way more than twelve dollars so ramdas answered his dad and he said well you know do you remember when uncle henry got in legal trouble do you remember when he got in legal trouble around that car accident and his dad said, yeah, I sure do. It was, uh, it was really difficult, and it was very complex. He was in a lot of trouble. And uh, do you remember, Dad, how you, how you helped him, how you represented him? And he says, I sure do. He said, well, did you charge him a lot of money? And his dad said, well, no, it's Uncle Henry. Why, how, how could I charge Uncle Henry money? How could I charge him too much money? And Ramdas said, well, that's exactly the point with the book. Who's not my family? How could I charge people, some people more and other people less? Everyone is Uncle Henry, the way I see it. This idea of family and treating everyone fairly and respectfully as family members. Everyone is Uncle Henry. It's a story that stuck with me. And... You know, we all live in very traditional ways and we have our family members and our children and they share our name and grow up in our homes and and this is family and we treat them with love and we treat them with caring and we treat them with respect and support and we try to to always be there to the best of our ability if and when we're needed. So I guess it leads to the question and I ask you to consider... Who is not? Who's not family? Who is not worthy? Who is not? Who wouldn't be included in your perspective of family in terms of your relationships and the sharing of yourself and patience and generosity and enthusiasm? And who's not family and why? Who's not and why something to something to consider, yes, I guess it's very Buddhist in its thought talking you know interconnection and so on and this goes beyond religion. this has nothing to do with religion, it has nothing to do with anything anything like that. this is just human who's not family, who wouldn't be family and even if there are some people that you can identify, you know who Donald Trump perhaps or you know, Osama bin Laden or, or whomever, I, you know, I have no idea who it might be. But even if there are some people that you can look at and point to and say, they are not my family, everyone else is. Everyone else is included besides them. Everyone else is included. So this idea of family, family values, family relations, We all have our ideas of what family values are and what family relations are. My point here, as it was at the prison, my point here is to consider extending the boundaries of family. Consider extending the boundaries of your family outward, more inclusive, more inclusive. Uh, Kathy and I have pets. Kathy has a couple of horses and, and we have one dog. We had three dogs not very long ago. But all three dogs are elderly, and two have had to be put down in the past couple of months, including last week. And Kathy has always, always said her animals are her family. They're her family. This is her her family. And I understand. I understand what that means. It doesn't mean that they share the same parents. It doesn't mean that they have, you know, the same DNA or anything like that. When she says that the animals, her pets, her horses, her dogs, are her family, she's talking about her umbrella of love and caring and being responsible to. That's what she's talking about. Her animals are her family. And I've seen her. You know, where we live, we have, we have deer who are here all the time, rabbits and... And there's some cats, some feral cats, and it's all family. All these, all these little critters—they're all family. She feeds the cats, the deer freely munch on our garden and the berries on our garden, and so I, I share with you to think about, consider when we talk about family values, the value that family really is, the value of family. And what being a member of family does for us, what it does for us, it opens our heart. It opens our mind. It provides and produces a sense of togetherness, of confidence, of compassion, of loving kindness. To consider others as family helps us. It, it energizes us. It strengthens us. So I ask you to think about family and the notions of family. And while you're doing that, I'm going to play some music, some Bobby Vega music. The name of the song is Run With You, and it's on Bobby's Matters of the Heart CD. We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back. You know, I remember one of the first teachings, if you will, that I had on family and the Tibetan notions of family, uh, from which all the ideas of family values and perspectives and the preciousness all all come out of the, the ideas of what is family, And this was uh, 2006, it was December of 2006. Uh, This was 12 years ago. And I had been on retreat at a monastery, Kopan Monastery, north of Kathmandu in the Himalayan foothills outside of Kathmandu in Nepal. And had been on retreat for, it was at this point a little more than, I guess about a month and a half in the monastery up on top of this hill had not left the monastery at all during the retreat. And in fact, the retreat was quite, it was quite uh, traditional in that there was no computers, there were no books that weren't Dharma books, no, nothing, just the monastery, the teachings, the meditations, the library in the monastery. Everything that we did was guided by the, by ringing of gongs and bells and very, very retreatful, very quiet, very beautiful. And this hilltop monastery is not too far outside of the city of Kathmandu, which is a bustling Asian city. And we would sit at times in the garden, and we'd look down the hill into the city, the haze of the city, watching the airplanes land, the airport, jets taking off and landing and depending upon how the wind was blowing there was a general din kind of a, a low hum i guess a noise a hum of city noises that would emerge out of the city and there we were on this lovely lovely retreat just focusing on dharma and working with our minds and experiencing all the retreatants, experiencing a really profound sense of of support for one another and caring for one another. And I remember one day sitting and looking down at the city and having a conversation about going back down there. When the retreat was over, going back down there. And the general idea was, oh my gosh, (laughs) I don't know if I really want to. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if I want to handle it. All the noise, all the, the pollution, all the all the stuff of the news and, and the energy of the city, of real life. And here we were on retreat. And I remember uh, speaking to uh, a fellow retreatant who was obviously further along the path than I was. And he just started laughing, and he said, no, no, he said, that's family. That's all family now. What we begin to see here, what we begin to learn up here on the hill, is that we're all connected, that this isn't here and that's there, that this isn't wonderful reality and that's difficult reality. It's all reality, and it's all family And what we're doing up here, what we're learning, is how to best cope with and be of benefit to all those people down there. And there was Kathmandu City and beyond Kathmandu, India, and the airport that was going to take me home one day, and and all my friends and family and all the issues and all the challenges that I was going to be dealing with after this retreat was over all family all family and it was profound I remember sitting there and just seeing things differently seeing things differently for the first time all family so when we talk about family values you know the the way we we see and respect others the way we what our role is in their lives, what their roles are in our lives, and the values that arise from that, the honesty and the integrity and, and the loving kindness and the care, and here's that word again, the responsibility, those are the values, the family values that arise out of that perspective, that arise out of that view of family-inclusive family so that's where uh that's where we're talking now and you know what i what i would like to do i I think we all get it and and this isn't necessarily something that i can sit here and verbalize or articulate in different ways and for you to get it i think you get it the idea here is for you to consider your family who is your family who's not your family and why and then what do you see your role in family as being? And, and perhaps it's your role as the elder in the family. Perhaps it's as a youngster or a family member where there are elders. Perhaps it's family that is within a certain area, sharing a home, sharing a community. Perhaps family is wide-ranging. What is your family What would you like your family to be? How would you like to approach your life in terms of your family? And and think about that, consider that. The Tibetan way is to introduce an idea, introduce a thought, and then analyze it, contemplate it, chew it over, think about it, and see what emerges, see what survives that process of analysis. See what's important, what rings true, And then think about it very, very deeply and very, very carefully and begin to understand how you can integrate those ideas and those realities into your perspectives, your perceptions, your intentions, your motivations, and then your activities, your engagements. So spend some time, if you will, with family What I'd like to talk about and what I think might be instructive is to take a look at some of the Tibetan ideas, some of the kind of the maxims of family, and in particular, the notion of parenting. You know, family, family values, family ideas, family relationships are often formed for the children, for the young ones at very young age at very young age and the tibetans have perspectives on this you know the certainly not all tibetans are wonderful wonderful people but i will tell you that in my experience there is a kind of a pervasive niceness a pervasive caring and consideration and confidence that the tibetan people have and it's uniform it's universal And it can only have come out of the culture in which the children were raised. That's the starting point for the Tibetan ideas and values and sciences and spiritual practices and all those things, all those things that are beautifully Tibetan. It all starts at a young age. So I'd like to share with you some of the Tibetan notions of child-rearing beginning at a very young age and what is considered to be important and what is uh, what is practiced in the home and in the community. I remember when I was in Dharamsala, India. I was, I've been there a few times and the longest time I was there I was volunteering. I was helping Tibetan refugees with conversational English. I'm not an English teacher I'm not an ESL teacher, so I wasn't teaching formal English as a second language, but I was teaching conversation. And I had a room full of students, adult students, mostly women, who I was, I guess it was every other day, I'd spend a couple of hours with them after they had their formal English teaching. And we got to know each other. We got to grow very fond of each other. And as much as I was there to help these folks speak English and understand English, they were there and really curious about me, you know, an American guy. And I remember early on a conversation where they asked me if I had children. They were very interested in my family. And they asked if I had children, and I said, yes, I did. I had six children, and they were all so happy and I said, yeah, three boys and three girls, and, and, and they're all healthy, and they're wonderful children, and, and there was just so much joy. And then they asked me about my wife, and I was divorced. I had been through two divorces. I had no wife. And I explained to them no wife, and the they became crestfallen. There were tears. There was sadness. There was absolute sadness in the room as I explained that my marriages had ended, my The kids' mothers are still alive, but they're not my wives, and we're not family in that way any longer. And it was almost disbelief, the the tragedy that they saw of the broken families, you know, something that many of us here in the West have become very used to. It's really, uh, unfortunately, very common but to the Tibetans, it was just unbelievable. It was, how could how could that happen? And they cried not for me, and I'm not even sure they cried for my ex-wives. They cried for the children. They cried for the family that was broken, that they considered to be just unquestionably important and beautiful and and vital in terms of the happiness that we experience in our lives. So, I remember hearing a uh, hearing a story about a little girl who was a toddler, and there was a fly that was on the floor of the room she was in. And her dad went over and very gently caught the fly. and kneeling very slowly, he carefully placed it in his daughter's hand. And then with very fond attention, he closed her, each of her tiny fingers around it gently. And then he instructed her to take it over to the door and let it go. The idea of fostering her a respect for all living creatures, one of the primary values of Tibetan Buddhism, and certainly an enduring aspect of family and what family is all creatures are family so the dad encouraged her you know there you go you know take it outside and but be careful we don't want to harm it and then he sat back and he let her go and she looked at her fist and she wanted to open it you know to see how the fly was doing peek inside her hand but her dad urged her no no take it to the door if you try to look, it will go away. And the girl then went to the door, put her arm out, and slowly loosened her fingers, opened her fist, and the fly shot out of her hand and flew outside. So what is this about? Well, it's it's a story. I believe it happened. It's a story. It was recounted to me as though it was true. In helping free the fly. Dad tried to teach his daughter to feel a sense of caring and respect for all life including even the life of a small fly and as she grew older she would be introduced more and more to the Tibetan way of thinking through daily experience that life Again, this is a family matter. Life is a continuation of other lives, and it's part of a very intricately woven web of responsibilities and relationships. So by sharing stories, you know, a fly is a fly, and a fly does what it does, and its life is respected. And so it can be with humans who should be loved and protected and gently guided to do the right things, just as dad has done with his daughter. The Tibetans, in terms of infancy, and as I said earlier, this all begins at a very young age. The Tibetan outlook is that babies retain special gifts and sensitivities and capacities that adults no longer have. So it's believed, for example, that children can see and hear things that adults cannot perceive Part of the Tibetan folklore is that children can have memories of past lives that begin to disappear when the child becomes old enough to stand up. And every time a child stands up, some of those past memories vanish and are replaced by newly created memories. Every time the child gets up, stands up at a young age, that's what is occurring The nursing mothers, talking again about infants and family care, nursing mothers continue the pre-birth prohibitions against using alcohol and nicotine and caffeine, understanding that these substances passed to their babies through their milk can damage their children's bodies and minds, and again, that is just a, a manifestation of the caring that Tibetan parents, and in this case mothers, have for the well-being of their children. As the children do new things, each new learning, the first smile, the first step, the first word, is seen as very unique. Each fresh discovery about life invigorates an infant's energy and contains the motivations for its next steps. So it's vital in the Tibetan notions to notice and recall and celebrate these learnings, these events as they take place. Many Tibetans believe that when babies are little, their future personality can be determined and the lines of character can be developed as well. One of the questions that I've heard asked here in the West is, you know, how, how, can, how can children be introduced to Buddhist ideas? How can children be introduced? To, what can we do here in terms of raising our children in kind and compassionate and beneficial ways? How might parents impart spiritual values to their children? And I think it's really very simple. I think if parents practice and embody these values, children will learn them. And if parents do not, Practice and embody the values that they're hoping that their children cultivate, the children will have little interest in them. Perhaps when they get much, much older and are away from the parents and out of the house, and there's some maturity that takes place, um, perhaps then they will invigorate some interest in these practices. But if they don't see them in the house from the parents, from the siblings, from the family, the immediate family, probably will have very little interest in them. So there again is that word, responsibility, the responsibility of the parents, the responsibility of everyone in the family, everyone outside of the family, a responsibility to treat everyone as though they're inside, inside the family, because really, truthfully, they are. They are. So again, one of the, the gems of Tibetan wisdom concerning early childhood this is a celebration of significant steps in the child's development. This is really, Tibetan, Tibetan-wise, a, a core value. It's essential to recognize each step, mark the quality of deep feeling and honor, a sense of connection to the ongoing life that is occurring Children, it's believed, have a natural phase of simplicity of mind before child child is, is developmentally ready to interrelate experiences. So senses and emotions and thoughts uh, sometimes are, are still tied into past experiences. And again, some feel, some Tibetans feel, that this beginning mind allows the child to have communication with spirits that adults do not usually have. Tibetans emphasize that teaching children through imitation, memorization, touch, and movement, so the full meaning, the full meaning of the material, the full meaning of the essence behind the material, can seep into their consciousness intuitively as well as intellectually. So imitation, memorization, touch, and movement. Before the age of eight, traditionally, the emphasis is on teaching the child to remember what he or she may already have known and benefited from in previous lives. So the emphasis before the age of eight is communicating to the child the deep wisdom and love that they have just known in the past. It becomes part of them, intuitively part of their perspectives the environment for learning in the home tibetan schools it needs to be clean it needs to be nurturing and whenever mistakes occur they're corrected without judgment children are vulnerable to impressions and need to be protected and healed when they experience fearful or intruding images the values The family values of compassion, honesty, and sharing are qualities that are valued in children and can be instilled in young children through their natural imitation of adults, through discipline as needed, kind, gentle discipline as needed, and through recognition and celebration of prized behaviors. Recognition and celebration of prized behaviors. You know, it brings to mind at some point... At some place in my past, I was listening to an interview with a relationship counselor and she made the point that people are like dogs and dog trainers know that the way to train dogs is not to yell at them or be loud when they do something wrong, but it is always to compliment and support positive behavior. And it was this relationship psychologist said, well, that's exactly the way we need to be in our relationships with our family members and with our spouses and our partners and our loved ones and our friends is forget about reprimanding them, forget about yelling at them, forget about nagging them. But when they do the right things, be loving and kind and supportive. That's how you train. And and the Tibetans are all over that. They're all over that. The idea, the valued qualities that we have can be instilled in young children through natural imitation of adults and through the recognition and celebration of prized behaviors. Harmony in relationships is also highly valued. It is important to teach even very young children how to interact with harmony rather than competitively with other children, adults, animals, insects, and all sentient life. The Tibetans believe that from the very beginning, children should be taught about rebirth and the cyclic nature of life. And to be part of a family should be instilled in children. To be part of a family, to have been given life by a mother and a father is highly prized. To be a part of a community of people who share life together at many levels is also considered sacred. It is a wonderful, valued reality that children are taught and led to understand and supported in Tibetan life. And again, these are the the causes, if you will, the causes that produce the results of instinctive and intuitive values and harmony and digging into this idea of harmony. Right after birth, Tibetan families, right after birth, the child is recognized as part of an extended family. The newest child is considered special, but the main priority is to bind the child into the family and community. Some sibling tensions exist, they always do, Various things may arouse sibling discord, such as one child's jealousy of another, but these difficulties are seen as normal. And as a remedy, Tibetan parents insist that siblings or friends reconcile immediately after a disagreement. Children are, again, strongly encouraged to keep harmony. Parents often tell the elder child to give his or her toy or whatever it was that caused the argument to the younger child. The focus is not On understanding how each child feels it's not on pacifying the hurt child or teaching the children to say what they need as happens here in the West rather the focus is on bringing harmony between the two siblings this emphasis on harmony and getting along is strong in Eastern culture certainly to Tibetan culture and children learn quickly that giving rather than competing is praised. They learn skills and strategies to work out their differences without causing distress to anyone else. In many ways, this approach adds continuity and strength to the family, to the culture, and to the community. And I know that such a practice, it seems fundamentally different from the attitude here in, in our culture which tend to work largely from a different perspective, where an individual's feelings come first. The United States was built on the expression of the individual, and most Westerners feel it's important to have their side of the story heard and their feelings and perspectives understood before they can work harmoniously with others. This attitude is fostered in childhood as we, as parents, try to be fair to all children, considering each perspective equally. But... The Tibetans value the harmony over the individual interest, over the individual ego, with the belief and understanding gained through centuries of practice that the sense of harmony and the peace and goodwill that harmony brings will trump the need for individual ego satisfaction and winning the argument And again, as I've said many times in this program, these are the fundamental states of mind that allow for the instinctive, intuitive, and automatic arising of what we call family values freely shared among everyone in family, in household, in school, in community, in workplace, in town, on the planet. It just goes out and out and out and out. But those values need to be intuitive and they need to be emerging or blossoming or arising from the source. So again, this is Mark Winwood bringing you The Elegant Mind here on Valley 104.9 FM radio. And this is the Kwame Valley of Washington State. Streamed on the internet at www.fmradio.com valley1049.org and we've been talking about family values and tibetan practices and the elegance of mind and i just like to summarize bring this to a conclusion you know one of the things i hear a lot it's kind of out there in the culture is that very often it's buddhist or tibetan non-attachment the idea of non-attachment is misconstrued as meaning not loving not loving that the purpose of buddhist practice is to renounce our families and unattach and and become neutral or whatever whatever that uh, non-attachment means but no Now, the purpose of Buddhist practice, the purpose of Tibetan practice, of the Tibetan mind sciences, the functional practical purpose of these practices is not to renounce our families or our communities, but to shed the habits of self-protective clinging that prevent us from loving them more unconditionally, more powerfully, more enjoyably. The greater and more unconditional our love for others, the greater our wisdom that sees through and compassion that feels through the thought habits that bring about over and over and over repetitive communal suffering. The mutual care that family life expresses is our Buddha nature. It's our Buddha mind, our Tathagatagarbha, our Buddha essence and it actualizes itself in the most palpable and tender ways through family life you know one again one one notion one idea and perhaps the idea that i'd like to leave you with in addition to the inclusivity of family the idea of who's not my family and why would that be is just the idea if parents impart spiritual values to their children, wise values, loving values, values of confidence and patience and joy and generosity. If parents impart these values to their children by practicing and embodying these values, children will learn them. And if not, the children will have little interest. So thank you for listening. I hope I've Provided some food for thought, some ideas to investigate. If anyone would like to be in touch with me, you can reach me through email. You can share ideas and notions, ask questions, suggest topics for discussion, or even volunteer yourself to be a part of this program as an interviewee. You can send email to me, Mark Winwood at The Elegant Mind at valley1049.org that's the elegant mind at valley1049.org you can come to our teachings chenrisic project teachings every other thursday at uh, longevity foods in duval and all that information is available on our website www.chenrisicproject.org that's c h e n r e z i g project p-r-o-j-e-c-t dot org i'd love to hear from you and continue this conversation in whatever way you find suitable or beneficial on family values the widespread deeply energizing and beauty creating notions of family values and how we can participate and support those thank you so much we'll see you next time